What is the problem with progressive Christianity? Is there any problem at all? My guest today is Elisa Childers, who is a former Christian recording artist turned Christian apologist, so a interesting turn of events there, but she has a wonderful and powerful testimony of uh, how she was involved in a progressive Christian church, and uh, this caused her to um, uh, have a lot of doubts about her faith, and then she moves uh, from doubt to a more firm faith by traveling through this apologetic journey like so many of us have, and I think you'll really enjoy it. Uh, she's a contributor to a, a new book, uh, Mama Bear Apologetics, and she has a, a popular blog at elisachilders.com, which I'll leave a link to the description two in the description but uh, for now uh, enjoy the episode if you want to watch the bonus segment five more minutes with elisa childers uh, follow the link in the description to our patreon page and become a supporter of the show Uh, you can do so for as little as a dollar a month or for five dollars you can get the bonus segment Uh, thanks so much for joining us guys and enjoy the episode Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Help Me Believe. Uh, My name is Hayden Clark, your host, and I am excited to introduce my special guest to you. Her name is Elisa Childers. Elisa, how are you doing today, ma'am? I am doing great. Thanks for having me on. Well, I'm so excited to have you. Uh, I've kept up uh, with your blog and your books and your podcast uh, for some time now, so I'm excited to have you on, and uh, thanks so much for uh, taking the time out of your day to do this. In fact, uh, you have been requested to come on. I put out a a tweet the other day. just to the audience asking, who do you guys want to see me have on next? And you were recommended, and little did that uh, audience member know that I was already in contact with you. So that was pretty cool oh, wow. that it worked That's out that great. way. So I'm excited. Yeah, to, very I'm, cool. Yeah, I'm super excited to have you on. Uh, but for those who don't or may not be familiar with you, uh, could you kind of give us a brief introduction, kind of uh, who you are and, and what you do? Yeah, I'm probably the least likely person ever to land in apologetics because I just don't have that much of a background in in apologetics or philosophy or anything like that. I, I come from the music world, so I was in okay. the contemporary Christian music business for several years, uh, did some touring and, and things like that. And so I think we're going to get into this a little bit about this story in a, in a minute. But basically, I went through a crisis of faith mm-hmm. where I, I walked through some pretty deep doubt. And so it was through that that I discovered apologetics. And so now I, I'm a basically a stay-at-home mom. I have a blog and a podcast. And I studied apologetics for many years. So I just like to share what I learned with, with people in my sphere. So, um, yeah, that's, that's what I do. Well, that's really awesome. Like you said, it's a a pretty similar story on my end. Uh, had a crisis of faith. I know if the audience is thinking, here we go again, but I'll just real quickly had a crisis of faith in seminary and and kind of found what I've now been terming, uh, apologetics by necessity. So I didn't know what apologetics was. And then it was just kind of like, I've got to figure this out or I can't keep pretending to be a Christian, you know, because I got all these doubts and stuff. Uh, But we can get into that now if you want to kind of walk us through what was that like for you and kind of what were what was like uh, the beginning stages of that? What caused the initial doubt? Yeah, well, I never went through a period of doubt in my life. I've been a Christian as long as I can remember. I actually don't remember a time in my life when I didn't know Jesus. And raised in a Christian home, raised in the church. And so it was just so deep in me. And and my family was very involved in things like homeless ministry and street ministry. Um, And so I grew up 
around a lot of Christians, not that it was perfect or anything, but around a lot of very genuine Christians. Like Christians to me were the people who loved God. They read their Bibles, they prayed, and they helped people, and they uh, did things for their community. And so it was uh, contrary. I know a lot of people have had experiences that were very different from that, but generally speaking, my experience in the church was was good. And, and so there wasn't kind of a, a bad taste in my mouth about anything uh, from my childhood. And I never really went through uh, doubting God's existence. He was so real to me. I could just feel him. In fact, I remember just one time asking my dad, dad, you know, how do we know God is real if we can't see him? That was like the extent of my childhood doubt. And my dad was like, well, you you know, you feel him, you can feel mm-hmm. him. And I would, and I was like, yes, I can feel him. So that was a great answer for me. Yeah. And um, so it wasn't until I was an adult and already married with a baby. Uh, my time in the Christian music industry had already passed. And I, for the first time in my life, encountered doubt. And the cause of it was uh, I was at a church where the pastor had invited me to be a part of a, a study group. And it was in this study group that he revealed that he was actually agnostic. So what he was going through at that time was, I realize now that I know the terminology was mm-hmm. deconstruction, what people refer to when they say deconstruction, his, his faith and everything that he had believed uh, was deconstructing. And he had come from a background that wasn't so good. It was more legalistic and very um, exclusive. And they believed everybody else, all the other Christians weren't really saved because they weren't in their particular denomination. And so he was questioning a lot of that, but he was bringing up all of these objections against Christianity that I had never heard before. And, or, or I might've heard them, but I heard them from people that I met on the streets who weren't Christians. I would expect people like that didn't know God to not mm-hmm. believe in him. So it didn't really ever rattle me, but it was when a pastor that I had come to respect and trust so that you, did. You're saying a pastor, and then you also said agnostic. <clears throat> Sorry, excuse me. So you, you said this was a pastor, and then you said he was actually agnostic. Yeah. So how is this being reconciled? Because it just seems like uh, such an obvious disconnect to me that a pastor, I mean, a pastor is going to have doubts, but I don't yeah. see a pastor self-proclaiming himself as an agnostic. Yeah, he called himself a hopeful agnostic. So I think that he was trying to just be really honest with our little group about where he was at, that he wasn't entirely sure that Christianity was true. He's He was hoping that it was. That's mm. what he wanted to identify with. That's what uh, sociologically he he was affiliated with and, and wanted to hold on to, but he wasn't sure. Yeah. And, and so, you know, in in that world. Now that church and that pastor ended up identifying themselves as progressive Christians. And so that's why I, I focus so much on progressive Christianity, but that's, you know, that's something in progressive Christianity. You do find a lot of uh, agnosticism Mm -hmm. in progressive Christianity. Uh, uh, In fact, there's, there's this idea that if you're certain, it's, it's almost like the sin of certainty. If you're certain about what you believe, they just almost can't even relate to you. Yeah. So is this kind of where um, you um, got this um, passion for talking about, you kind of just mentioned talking about progressive Christianity was just from this personal experience that you had. And I know that you, I know that you talk about a lot of other things ex- other than just pro- progressive Christianity, but uh, it does kind of seem to be your, your, your kind of thing to, to talk about this. And it, does it come from that experience really? 
It really does. And when I first started my blog and when I first started my podcast, it was really more of a general apologetics podcast and blog because when I went through this crisis of faith through the progressive church, it was the apologists that were offering the answers to Mm -hmm. some of the questions that I had and a lot of the questions that were being brought up in those environments. Um, And so I realized after a while, you know, nobody's really talking about this. And that was my background. And I could kind of spot progressive Christianity uh, in different places, but I didn't see a lot of apologists talking about it. I didn't see Mm -hmm. a lot of Christian leaders talk about it. They might talk about you know, everybody talked about Rob Bell when he came out with right. Love Wins for a minute, yeah. but it, it as a movement, I didn't see a lot of people addressing it. And so I, I thought, you know, maybe I just, I need to really drill down on this. And so I started reading all of their books and, and their blogs and listening to their podcasts and trying even in a deeper way to really understand where they're coming from so that I could address it from a biblical perspective. Right. And I've been encouraged to see that a lot of more people are are speaking out about it as well. Yeah, that's that's true. Uh, so, how does this topic of progressive Christianity come under the wing of apologetics like this? Because when uh, you know, like you were uh, alluding to, when you think apologetics, you mostly think uh, mere Christianity, uh, C.S. Lewis types, or, or you know, any apologist that probably just popped into your mind whenever I said apologetics. They mostly argue for the existence of God, um, or the resurrection of Jesus, or the trustworthiness of the scriptures. Um, and this is more of a, we've almost put this under the political sphere mm. or the or the sociological sphere. So how does progressive, this topic of addressing the um, problem of progressive Christianity, if it turns out to be a problem, uh, under uh, apologetics? Well, that's a great question because, and that was something that didn't really connect for me until later, Uh that in progressive Christianity, I guess we kind of have to define it in order to to answer this sure, question. Yeah, we can start there uh, because because really at the at, at the foundation of progressive Christianity is an attack on the trustworthiness of the scriptures, mm. and and really the atonement, the resurrection. A lot of key core doctrines are under attack in that world, and so you know when you define when I define progressive Christianity, I try to define it as they define it. I, mm-hmm. I I look for progressive leaders and how they define it. And so it's a bit difficult because of the word progress. It implies, you know, like a positive type of change, right. like a movement towards something better. And that's something we all want. We all, as Christians, want to progress in our faith. We want to progress in our understanding of God and his word. We want to mature. We want to grow in holiness. But there's a difference between us progressing in our understanding of the eternal truths of God and those truths themselves progressing. Oh, now, that's a good distinction. Yeah. Yeah. And so progressive Christianity would look at the characters in the Old Testament, the prophets. They would look at the earliest Christians who wrote the New Testament, the, the apostles and, and the disciples of Jesus. And, and they would view those earliest Christians as having... Uh, a less enlightened view of God than we do now. Like that was Christianity in its infancy. But now we are constantly progressing in our understanding toward what Brian McLaren uh, describes as a higher and wiser view of God. Mm. And so, of course, that has massive implications for the Bible being God's word. Right. And that's where the apologetics comes in, because uh, if if you view the Bible as God's word, if you view it as divinely inspired and authoritative for your life, uh, you're probably not going to land in the progressive camp. Uh, a progressing, a, a progressive understanding um, 
of the Bible would be that we're looking at the Bible as sort of a roadmap of our ancestors' best understandings of God at the time that they lived. So rather than seeing them as inspired Mm. in the same way that historically Christians have viewed the doctrine of divine inspiration, they were inspired more along the lines of they were writing their best experience, their best understanding of God. So God wasn't really telling Israel to go in and and do the Canaanite conquest. That was just their best understanding of mm-hmm. God. And and so if, you know, you can see kind of where apologetics would come in. There's a lot of attack on the textual purity of the Bible. We can't be sure what it really says because we don't have an accurate copy. And so so a lot of of the arguments are very similar to the arguments atheists make, which of course is what apologists are answering. Right. You had a really popular. Uh blog post I think that was through the Gospel Coalition I'm not sure uh, yes it was. I believe what that was titled just that like three things that are very similar to uh, skepticism or atheism and progressive Christianity um, so what what is the uh, uh, historical or orthodox view of uh, divine inspiration uh, if that seems to be what's at bottom here is that yeah. what you, would you say that is what's at bottom here I, I would yes but I would probably word it that it has to do with whether or not someone believes the Bible is God's word. Because someone could have a nuanced, a more nuanced view of inspiration than someone else. But ultimately, if you look throughout history, uh, if you look at the earliest Christians, if you look all, I mean, even back to Jesus and what he said about the Old Testament, and then you move through church history, what you will see is that there is a lot of different opinions on certain interpretations. There are mm-hmm. uh, a lot of debate about different things. There's midrash coming in and in some places, but ultimately, there's you know there's even um, the interpretive style of of viewing it as allegory. But there has always been an underlying belief that every word was God's word, that the Bible is the very words of God. And that is something that you don't typically see in the progressive uh, church. Uh, Brian McLaren, uh, many progressive leaders have affirmed a view like this, but Brian McLaren put it the simplest in his book, A New Kind of Christianity, where he he views the scriptures like fossils in layers of sediment. So we can dust those off, we can study them, we can learn what the earliest Jews and the earliest Christians believed about God, but those words are not authoritative. And and so scholars like Pete Enns would say, you can find wisdom in the scriptures, you can even find God's word in the scriptures, but you're not going to find a lot of progressives that would say all of it, the whole thing is telling the same story. It's all the very words of God. And so I think that's probably the main difference at the way historically Christians have looked at the Bible and the progressive way of looking at the Bible. And so what is the danger of, of taking a view um, on the scriptures like this? Is this kind of like a slippery slope argument? Like if you start here and this is your understanding of the scriptures, uh, such and such is going to follow and the, the consequence is X. What, what, what is really the danger here? Yeah, well, the danger is that you, if, if you can kind of push the Bible to the side or twist it around and make it say what your biases and, and your preferences want it to say, then you can really make Christianity anything you want it to be. And then it becomes a very subjective belief system, which, which is very common in progressive Christianity, where there really aren't any core essential doctrines yeah that they all agree upon. You might find progressives that believe in a literal bodily resurrection, probably not that many, but you will. 
and then you'll find others who don't, but they won't see that in conflict. Uh, they won't view that as a conflict because as uh, John Pavlovitz, a progressive blogger, wrote when he was defining progressive Christianity, there are no sacred cows. Right. Everything's open for reinterpretation. Everything's open for reexamination and and to, to rebuild it in this new, higher and wiser way. And so, uh, yeah, so I think that that when you when you put all that together, it allows really for relative relativism to run free. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I want to get to what you kind of think causes all of this, and then we'll talk about some some different uh, doctrines, even though you said they don't really, uh, progressive Christians don't really have a, a uh, core tenet uh, uh, beliefs system like that, that that's just in stone. But first, I want to give a patron shout out to our patron of the week, Michael. Thanks so much for your support, Michael, and everybody who supports Help Me Believe. And if you're listening, I know what you're thinking. You'd love to hear me shout your name out on the show. It's what you've always dreamed of. Well, your dreams can become a reality today, and you can follow that link in the description over to our Patreon page and become a supporter of our ministry for as little as a dollar a month and help us to continue to have wonderful guests like Elisa on, just like this. Uh, but uh, anyway, you can head over there and do that. But enough of that. We're going to get back to the interview uh, again with Elisa Childers. Um, and we are talking about the subject of uh, progressive Christianity, and we've been talking about the progressive view of uh, divine inspiration and, and really what the Bible is. Is it the Word of God? Is it just merely the Word of men? I think we all agree that men had a, a role to play here. We're going to kind of switch gears now to uh, discuss kind of um, what, where does this really stem from, Elisa? Uh, where does the, the, what is the pull to progressive Christianity? What is the perhaps temptation that leads people to this? Why do you go down this road? Why do you, uh, why do you uh, break with the orthodox historical view of things and and go into progressive Christianity? If if all you have is uh, speculation, then okay. But perhaps there's um, stated uh, reasons as to why a progressive uh, Christian would want to go down this road. That's a really good question because uh, I think there are reasons and. I'll speak first from personal experience of what actually even attracted me to... Now, I didn't realize when I went to that church that they were willing to throw essential doctrines away. I, I kind of was assu- I was operating under the assumption that we all believed the base, basic core same things. Um, and so it was when I realized that some of those things were going out the window that I was really alarmed. But what drew me to this kind of outside-of-the-box thinking was that in my years in the Christian music industry. I, I went to all kinds of different churches. I played in big mega churches. We played in small churches. We, we met so many different kinds of Christians, just all kinds of different Christians. And I, I was a little jaded, you know, I, there were times when we weren't treated very well by, by pastors or more celebrity pastors were kind of rude and, and, you know, and there were just things where I was just like kind of recognizing maybe some things that the evangelical culture had gotten wrong. Mm-hmm. And I think that's true in the progressive uh, world. I think they they recognize some problems, maybe some um, application problems in evangelicalism that they wanted to call out. And in many cases, that was rightly so. And so I think that it, it can come from that. It can also, there, there are a lot of people uh, that have shared stories with me who went through a phase of progressive Christianity and maybe ended up in atheism due to abuses. Uh, you know, there's all kinds of abuses coming to light even now. And, uh, and, and that, that sort of 
rather than sort of picking apart and, and confronting the abuse, throwing the whole thing out, you know, the baby out with the bathwater, right, that's what I was gonna so say, to speak. Is it, in most cases, like with some with any kind of topic like this, you'll you'll find there's a, there's always truth. There's always some uh, kernel of truth yeah. in there, and then it seems that uh, I think the the connection is exactly what you said it was. Is there's there's a kernel of truth, and and something bad has happened, and we would all agree that shouldn't happen, or a pastor should not do that. And uh, in some cases, we agree the the law should be even be involved and things like this. Um, but, but like you said, they, it it's it seems that the baby gets thrown out with the bathwater. Yeah, um, one thing I see a lot in the progressive church is that. And, and I know apologists will say this about atheists, the God that they're rejecting isn't actually the true God. And so in progressive Christianity, often what you'll see is that the Christianity that they are rejecting is the very small bubble of whatever denomination or sect of Christianity they grew up in. And they're equating that with historical Christianity as a whole and, and throwing the whole thing out rather than saying, well, maybe that was you know, that, that part of that was wrong and let's pick this apart and get to the core issues here. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, it's, I've had many conversations similar, uh, not necessarily having to deal with progressive Christianity, but people who struggle to go to church and they'll say, well, I went to church here and there was nothing but a bunch of judgmental Christians and all this. And, and my experience, and I've, you know, uh, been a member at a couple of churches and actually, you know, visited a lot of churches, and I've just, I've never found that. And I'm not denying that it doesn't happen. It obviously does happen. Um, but, uh, you know, if, so I kind of have a maybe a better, broader experience to know that, well, if I run into somebody that is that way, I know that it isn't symptomatic of the whole. It's, it's just, right. it's, it's this one isolated thing, and there may be another isolation happening over here. But I think you'll find on on a larger scale that the majority of Christians aren't going to be sitting there in judgment over you. The majority of them are far too familiar with their own sinfulness. Uh, they're not going right. to be uh, ob uh, overly concerned with your sin or whatever you're doing. Um, well, and I think that also comes from a misunderstanding, even in culture at large, that if somebody might disagree with you, that they're somehow hating you or, or judging you harshly or something right. like that. And, and, and that that's something that often gets kind of put together that, that shouldn't necessarily yeah. be put together. So, yeah. Yeah, that definitely happens. Um, so I kind of switch gears here. Do you um, sometimes a, a, a um, an argument that might be made is that this really isn't something necessary uh, to talk about, like having this discussion right now between you and I isn't actually fruitful. And in fact, it, it may uh, cause more harm than good, specifically towards our, our skeptical friends who you and I have, uh, you know, ministries and blogs and, and, and podcasts who are we're specifically targeting skeptics, trying to give reasons and evidence for the faith. Um, but sitting here making these distinctions amongst Christians and, and uh, not really having arguments, but we're just having conversation here. But it, having arguments amongst Christians, progressives, conservative Christ Christians, Orthodox, progressive, um, that this could actually harm our witness. Uh, I'm sure you've heard this before, so kind of how do you respond to that? Yeah, and, and that's something to consider. I think that there are some out there that are so overly critical that you could almost put any name into their search bar and they're going to come up as a heretic. Mm -hmm. You know, we call them heresy hunters. It's like it's like this overly critical, nobody can wiggle right, yeah. one wrong word and you're out. And I think that that we need to guard our hearts against that. But I, I don't think we risk harming unbelievers because if you read through the New Testament, 
In fact, if you're listening to this, read through the New Testament. Next time you read through the New Testament, just look for all the times the writers warned against false teaching, false mm-hmm. teachers, wrong beliefs. And you're going to see that, that this is an issue that the New Testament is very focused on. This isn't just somewhere in the background. It's a primary focus. The entire book of Jude is dedicated to this. That's what I was this. thinking about. That yeah. Jude comes specifically to mind. Paul comes specifically to mind. But, yeah, because yeah. Jude, Jude even opens his book by saying, I actually wanted to write about our shared salvation. I wanted right. to write about all this you know, happy yeah. stuff, but I have to address these false teachers that have slipped in among you. And he spends a good bit of the book addressing that and calling believers to persevere in right belief, uh, to, to not let false teaching divide them. And then Jesus himself, of course, warns that wolves in sheep's clothing would infiltrate the church. Like he told us that would happen. And he tells us to judge by the fruit of these teachers. And when he uses the word fruit, he's not just saying like, what makes you feel happy or what uh, brings joy to your heart. But according to Jesus, the fruit is judged by obedience to him. Mm -hmm. And so it's the more of the moral effect that it has on our lives. And, and he gets really strong about this. He says, you know, only the people who do the will of my father will enter the kingdom of heaven. And it's, it's to the workers of lawlessness. He's going to say away from me. I never knew you. And so I think that we have to take very seriously the writers of the new Testament. We have to take Jesus seriously and, and expose all works of darkness, as it says in Ephesians five. And so I think it would to not do that, to not expose works of darkness, to not expose outright false teaching, that would actually be harmful to an unbeliever because we have to present the real thing to them and, and, and leave that, the rest of it into the hands of God because mm-hmm. an unbeliever might be a little confused about, wait, this Christian says this Christian's wrong. But ultimately, I think that that inner witness of the Holy Spirit is going to reach the people it's supposed to reach and and they'll know the truth mm-hmm. and they'll recognize it and and we just have to speak it yeah for sure i mean i think you're absolutely correct and um i i, I, I can't help but feel like that jesus himself would not have spent a, a, that much time talking about this uh paul himself jude all uh, the the authors of the new testament would not have spent Peter, yeah. Uh, yeah this much time talking about false teachers uh within the church uh, if it was not of primary concern, obviously, um, but yeah. I also feel like that primary concern must have something to do with uh, the doctrine of salvation, or um, you know, salvation. And so, is there is there does the slippery slope that may begin with uh, is the Bible really God's word? Does it end up somewhere down here, down the line, with salvation? And are we potentially talking about heresy and uh, this sort of thing? Yeah, I believe we are. And so a lot of people, when they hear the word progressive, they might first think it in a political sense, mm-hmm. like, oh, are we just talking about the the political party we don't like? And and that is not what I'm talking about when I talk about progressive Christianity. Um, they might, you know, people might think, oh, progressive Christians, they're just they're just Christians who maybe have progressed in their views on some social issues or, or something like that. But underneath, it's all the same. Mm. Uh, but it really needs to be said that underneath it all, the progressive view of salvation, it's an entirely different gospel than the historic Christian gospel. And so the, you know, how the Bible is viewed is kind of one peg. The other peg is 
the atonement, how progressive Christians view what happened on the cross, which is a absolute, it strikes to the very heart of what defines Christianity, what has made it unique in the world for 2000 years. And so it, it's it's an actually an attack on the gospel itself because many progressive Christians, if not most, would say that the idea of Jesus dying for our sins, uh, they they would think that's heretical. In fact, Brian McLaren relates that with a pagan Greco-Roman philosophy. Mm-hmm. Rob Bell has said something similar that this is just something early Christians adopted from the cultures around them. They never had to do those Old Testament sacrifices. The gods are not angry. Uh, So the whole idea of the wrath of God, Jesus taking the punishment for our sins, this is something that is often referred to as cosmic child abuse, as that that if that is how God is, then it can't be, because that would make him a cosmic abuser. And, And so really the progressive Christian gospel is... Is it's not just some evolution in social issues. It it's the core of the gospel that's different, and and so you you know you mentioned heresy. I, I believe that's heresy to say that that God is a cosmic abuser or what the Bible describes God as is, is describes him as a cosmic abuser, and so the the view of salvation. There, it really goes all the way back to all the fundamentals. There's a rejection of the idea of original sin. We were, we were not, uh, we're not fallen. In fact, Brian McLaren says, when you think about the fall, when you think about original sin, he says that's something that was smuggled in to to the reading of the Bible. It's not really there. Uh, God created us. He said what he created was good. And so to call it fallen or somehow that to say that we're separated from God is is false. And uh, this was kind of laid out very clearly by William Paul Young in his book, The Shack, which really was a story. But then a few years later, he came out with a book called Lies We Believe About God, where he fleshed out the theology of the shack a little bit more. And, and it's the same kind of thing. Look, everyone is already reconciled to God. Mm. Uh, the, the death of Jesus was not like a blood sacrifice where he took the punishment of our sin upon himself. He was crucified by an angry mob and God let it happen out of love for us. But it, it's, not, uh, it's not something that was necessary for our salvation. And so that's really where it strikes to the heart of the gospel. Well, I think that's a, a good place uh, to stop. Thanks so much uh, for coming on. But I want to give you uh, one one last uh, uh, segment here. If there's anything that you could say to uh, maybe uh, maybe some of the audience is uh, of a progressive Christian persuasion, if there's anything that you could say to uh, someone who's leaning towards a progressive Christianity, kind of undermining these uh, doctrines that uh, we've been discussing, what what would you uh, say to them? Wow, that's a that's a great question. I would just encourage anyone who's listening to pursue knowledge on all of these things. Don't just read one writer, read both sides. And that's I think something that both people on the conservative historic, you know, I, I don't like the word conservative because that can mean different things, but you know, on the historic side and on the progressive side, we can both tend to just read our people and not engage with the other side. So if, if you're leaning toward those views, read some really strong historic Christian scholars. Read Craig Keener, read Michael Kruger, and, and 
really see what both sides have to say, the strongest arguments from both sides. And I think you'll see if you'll push through this, there is a historic core of Christianity that has always defined it. Uh, not that Christians have always agreed on everything. We certainly haven't. But there, there is a core there. And you can trace it. In fact, I've just been looking at the idea of substitutionary atonement in the church fathers. And uh, you can trace it from the scriptures themselves through uh, Eusebius and, and, and Augustine even, and, and all of these, and even earlier ones. It's there. And a lot of people will respond just to talking points. They'll say, oh, that wasn't thought of till the, the Middle Ages or something along those lines. And then they just accept that as truth. But really read these people for, for yourself. Read the church fathers. See what they had to say about the cross and what Jesus accomplished. And so I would just encourage everyone really to, to keep studying and learning and make sure that what you're rejecting is the real thing and not just an abusive version or an overly legalistic version that that you were exposed to. Yeah, for sure. Alisa, Alisa Childers, everybody, uh, thank you so much uh, for coming on. If you want to listen to the bonus segment, Five More Minutes with Alisa Childers, uh, stick around, follow the Patreon link in the description below and become a supporter, and uh, you can get access to that. Alisa, thanks so much for taking time out of your day to do this. It was a lot of fun. Thanks so much for coming on. My pleasure. Thanks for having me.